Well, welcome to Mile Straight. So glad you're here today. Hey, if you would, reach into your bulletin and take your study guide out. And then also grab a clipboard and a pen from the book rack in front of you. And uh, let's jump into our study. Uh, today we're going to be talking about the topic of uh, encouragement arises from failure. I want to give you a subtitle. Uh, you can add to your list if you want to. Add to your sheet if you'd like. Um, and it's just something that, that I think explains it a little bit more, gives us a little more understanding of where we're heading this morning. And it, it is this, his failure equals our encouragement. We're talking about a very particular person, Prophet Elijah, his failure equals our encouragement. I know on the surface that sounds a little bit morbid. Because we all know people who they, uh, they thrive on hoping that other people fail. They want other people to fail so that they'll look better. They want them to fail so that they can get their position or their place or their authority or whatever may, may be. But I guarantee you this is not where this discussion is heading. In fact, what we're going to see is that the failure of this incredible man of God leads into some thoughts that can be very encouraging for us. And especially for those who may be discouraged at this point in your life. You may be going through something difficult. Maybe, maybe that, uh, that God's just working in your heart in ways that you don't understand. And this is going to be a day that is encouraging for you. There's going to be a, a moment of, of talking about that which is negative, but it's going to be sandwiched by that which is positive and that which is going to serve to bring courage and encouragement to us in the process. So if you have your study guide, let's go ahead and jump in here. Number one, we see in the passage of Scripture that we'll read at the end of this first point, at least part of that passage, we see his story that brings him recognition. We see the story of Elijah that's going to ultimately serve to bring recognition to Elijah. Now, Elijah wasn't after the recognition. Now you read through 1 Kings and you find the story of this incredible man of God. You understand that that's not what he was after. But in the, reality, the, the process of what was taking place, he received recognition for it. And I want to just share some of his story with you. I don't want to go back and read it all. I just want to summarize it because of time. But uh, it's an incredible story. I'm not going to give you his whole life history or all of his history as a prophet of God. But I want to start with one place where God came to this incredible person and he said, he said, Elijah, I want you to go to the king and tell him because of the wickedness of the people. Because they have gone after another God. They are now bowing down and worshiping an idol named Baal. I want you to go and tell him that I've seen the wickedness. And as a result, I'm going to cut the rain off. And there's going to be drought in the land. Now I want you to think for a second about this. Because I, I, I try to put myself in his shoes. I try to imagine that it was me that God spoke to. And, and what is my reply going to be. And I, I can imagine that if God came to me and said, Tom, I want you to go to the President of the United States and tell him because of the wickedness in the land that I'm going to cut the rain supply off, that I would have probably backed off of that a little bit and thought, is that really God telling me to do that? Now, is that really God, or is this just my imagination? Am I just thinking that it's God, and if it's, if it's not God, I'm going to go tell the president this, and man, it's going to make the headlines because they're going to splash this fool's picture everywhere. And I can imagine. 
But Elijah had such an incredible faith in God. Elijah was such a strong, strong believer in God. that when God spoke to him, there was no questioning. There was no doubt. It was just a simple matter of, okay, I've got to go do what God has told me to do. And this incredible man of God goes and speaks these prophetic words. He says, this rain's going to stop. And there's going to be drought in the land because of the wickedness of the people. And God did exactly what Elijah said. Can you imagine? Now we know it wasn't the power of Elijah that brought this on. We know that Elijah didn't possess some sort of certain qualities that other Christians don't have. And therefore he was able to make it stop raining. Now we know this was all a work of God. But Elijah was obedient to do what God had told him to do. And as a result, God honored him through the process. Well, Elijah now goes off and he goes to the land of Samaria and he lives there for three years while this drought is taking place and it becomes really bad. It's so bad that they're searching everywhere trying to find little pools of water so that they can water their cattle and their sheep. It's, it's really bad. And finally, after three years, God speaks to Elijah again and he says, Okay, Elijah, the time has come for me to restore the rain. He said, I want you to go back to the king, King Ahab, and I want you to tell him that God is getting ready to bring rain upon the land. And Elijah, in simple obedience, even though he knew that his life had been threatened by King Ahab, went back to the king, and after speaking with Obadiah, another incredible prophet of God, Elijah finally went before King Ahab, and King Ahab met him with these words, There's the troublemaker of Israel. Now that would have been greatly reassuring, wouldn't it? You're talking about the most powerful man in the land. There's the troublemaker. What's coming next? Elijah might have been thinking. Maybe he wasn't, but I believe I probably would have. And Elijah stood up to him with such boldness. And he said, no, I'm not the troublemaker. I'm not the one that has put Israel in this position. I'm not the one that's led, it, led them and made it possible for them to sin against God with this idol, this wooden carving of a God. I'm not the one that's caused that. Ahab, you are responsible for this. It's your fault. Over a period of time, maybe hours, maybe a day, it seemed like it was probably quicker than that. Uh, Elijah calls a confrontation between him and the prophets of Baal. And there were hundreds of prophets of Baal in the land. And he called all of them out and he called the people in to watch a contest between God and Baal. He said, today we will prove who is the true God. Today we will see who we as a nation are to worship. And so everyone met on the mountain. Thousands of people milling around to see what would take place. And Elijah tells them what the contest contest will be. He said, now what I'm going to do is, is I'm going to prepare an altar and a sacrifice and you prophets of Baal, you religious leaders of Baal, you're going to do the same thing and then we're going to call out to our gods and the one that responds by fire, the one that sends fire to burn up the sacrifice is the true God. And so Elijah says to the prophets of Baal, a lot of you, you guys go ahead and get started. You go ahead and start the process, and so they did. They put their sacrifice on the altar, and they started crying out to Baal. 
And they cried out for hours. They cut themselves trying to get his attention. And they, they screamed and yelled and fell on the floor for hours and hours. And, of course, he's a wooden plank. He didn't hear them. And he didn't respond to their cries. But then came the time for the evening sacrifice to God. And Elijah said, okay, you've had enough time. And he directed everyone's attention as he set back up the altar of the Lord that had caven in, had fallen apart over time because it had not been used. And he took the sacrifice and he placed it on the altar. And he had the people bring in barrels and barrels of water, this precious supply, had them bring it in and dump it on top of the altar so it would assure everyone that there was no fire mingled inside that was going to be the reason why the sacrifice burned up. And there was so much water, he dug a trench around the altar and it filled the, the trench with water. There was no doubt in anyone's mind that this would no this would not light now. There's no way. And Elijah stepped back and he said, God, would you show them who you are? And the Bible says in that moment that fire fell from heaven and consumed the sacrifice. And not only the sacrifice, but all of the stones that built the altar and lapped up the water in the trench around it. And the people came to a complete understanding in that moment. We have been duped. We have been led astray. We've been led to believe that this plank is somehow a God. And we've been worshiping and following at the expense of the true God. And Elijah said, now I want you to take the prophets of Baal. We've got to rid the land of this rebellion, of this pollution. We've got to get rid of the prophets. And I want you to take them and I want you to kill them with the sword. Now, in our day and time, something like that would be frowned upon. But in this day and time in which we're talking, it was very much the way it happened. God had told the children of Israel, if someone comes in to lead you astray, to lead you away from me, you are to rid the land of that person. And the people did exactly as Elijah said. This is where we get now to the point that we have on the paper. That this particular story of, of Elijah brought him recognition because everyone was talking about it. Can you imagine? We saw fire fall from heaven. I'm not kidding you. It, it really happened. We saw fire, literal fire fall from heaven. It wasn't just a little bit, but it was this huge amount of fire that totally consumed the sacrifice and the stones literally consumed the stones and all the water it was all gone God is amazing and even though Elijah wasn't seeking recognition in the process recognition was given to him but I want you to know that this recognition came at somewhat of an expense because the recognition didn't just happen among the common people but there was recognition given to Elijah in the palace as well and while maybe Elijah appreciated the comments of the people were just commoners when he found out what was being said in the palace, all of a sudden something else gripped his heart. Listen, if you will, look at your study guide. Look at verses 1 and 2, 1 Kings chapter 19. And Ahab the king told Jezebel the queen, which by the way, let me just interrupt the, the reading here for a second. 
She was so incredibly wicked. Not only was she so incredibly wicked, she was the one that was calling the shots in the land. Ahab was the king, and certainly he was the figurehead, but she was the one behind the scenes pulling the strings, making him do what she wanted him to do, it appears. And so we continue reading, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as, one of the, as, as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. If I do not kill you, even as you killed my prophets, let God do to me what you did to them. Now at this point in the story, we might consider this incredible man of God that had such incredible faith. I mean, there's not many people that would have faith strong enough that they could ask God to shut off the rain and God would do it. And ask God to send fire from heaven and God would do it. There's not many people that even if God was telling them would feel comfortable with walking out in front of thousands of people and saying, guess what's going to happen? Fire's going to fall out of heaven today. Not many of us would have the confidence that we need in God to step out and do such a thing. But Elijah did. Now, if you've been part of our Bible study on Sunday evening, Romans chapter 12, if you haven't, I wish you'd come and join us tonight. But if you've been part of that, you understand that even the faith we have is a gift from God, that God extends to us a measure of faith. And as we grow in our, our relationship, our walk, our journey with God, God grows our faith also to where we can do even greater things for Him. But even that's a gift of God. So Elijah wasn't looking for a place to stop and say, well, wow, look at my faith. I've got such incredible faith. Everybody needs to have what I've got. No, because he understood that this was a gift of God. That wasn't what he was looking for. But understanding the type of person that Elijah was, we might come to the conclusion that this particular situation would turn out exactly like we would think it would, that Elijah would take a stand and when the messenger came and told him that Jezebel was going to try to kill him, Elijah would have said, you know what? Tell that witch to come and do what she thinks she can accomplish. Tell that evil, wicked woman to come and do whatever she thinks she's capable of doing. Now, I can see that because Elijah was such an incredible man of God. I mean, fire falling from heaven at his word. That's pretty amazing. And I, I can see him standing up to the king, Ahab, and saying, No, I'm not the problem here, king. You're the problem. So when this threat came from the queen, I can imagine that, that what, what Elijah would do is the same. Stand up and say, so? This is your threat? This all you've got? You need to understand something. I'm not alone here. Not alone. Maybe it's apparent to you by now that I'm not alone. You've seen the fire. You've heard the stories. But that's not what Elijah did. In fact, our second point takes us to the place to where we see his failure brings him shame. It is his failure that brings him shame here. Notice, if you will, verses 3 and 4. 
Verses 3 and 4 says this, And when he saw that, he got this message from the messenger, when he saw that, Elijah, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. And that wasn't far enough for him. He understood, I've got to get even further because her reach is great. And so verse 4, But him, he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die. Isn't that interesting? Elijah had just seen an incredible victory for God. I mean, he had rid the land of the pollutants. The, the prophets of Baal, they were gone. Elijah had done something amazing that probably some of the people who were still true to God through the process of the idolatry of the others were hoping for, they were wishing for, and now they had seen it come to pass. And Elijah, after taking this incredible stand, gets an incredible threat from a very worthless person. And instead of standing and allowing God once again to show himself strong, he ran, ran. Now, it is difficult for me to understand how Elijah would run. It wouldn't be difficult for me to understand how I would run. I'm not pointing fingers and saying he would do something, he did something that I would never do because putting myself into that situation, I, I, can, I can see that that type of a threat would have scared me. Hopefully not to the point that I would have ran from it. Hopefully I would have had enough confidence in God to stand anyway. But I can see myself maybe doing what he did. But I just wouldn't expect him to do that. And interestingly enough, as this story continues to develop, we see now that Elijah has ran away to where he thinks he's safe, and he falls down, and it dawns on him what has just taken place. I can't believe I did that. I can't believe it. I had a chance to show the power of God even through another situation. And instead of staying and standing, I ran away. Can't believe it. And I believe that it was in this moment that Elijah faced his greatest time of depression in his life. Let me tell you something. We have an enemy that loves to see us get depressed. And he will play on that to the fullest extent possible. Because when we're mired up in depression, it makes it almost impossible for us to be used of God. And he'll play on that. But now here's where the story once again takes a twist. Here's where we leave the failure of Elijah to see something that's very positive which comes from this. In fact, your next fill-in says that his example brings us comfort. His example brings us comfort. And once again, we go back to this morbid thought. Oh, you're, you're benefiting from his example of failure. And yes, it is true. We're going to benefit from that, I think. But not that we're pointing fingers and saying, man, I'm glad you failed. But since he did fail, what can we learn from that? There's two categories of things I want us to see that we learn. The first things are not going to be on your handout. If you want to write these in, I think it would be beneficial for you. 
But there are three things I think that bring us incredible comfort in Elijah's story of failure. And that first of all, number one, is that he wasn't perfect, but God used him anyway. He wasn't perfect by any stretch of the magic. He wasn't perfect before this failure we've talked about. He was a human just like we are. The Bible says we've all sinned, we've all rebelled against God, we've all fallen short of His glorious standard. There is none righteous, not even one. We know this to be the case. We're all sinful people. Elijah was no different. He's just like we are. And yet, God still used him. Did you know God's not looking for perfect people to use? Because they don't exist. There are no perfect people. God wants to take and use people just like you and me. He wants to take and use imperfect people that will surrender to Him. God uses those who are imperfect. But not only can we be encouraged by that, but we can also be encouraged, number two, by God's response to the situation. What we find is that God met His real needs. Maybe in your mind, it certainly is true in mine, as I think through the way the story could have gone from my human perspective, I begin to think, okay, God, now's your chance. Man, he's done this, this terrible thing. He's ran away instead of standing, instead of giving you glory in this situation too. He ran away. Now's the time. <laughs> Wipe him out. <laughs> I'm glad God doesn't respond that way because I would have been gone a long time ago. But what we find is you read more of chapter 19. And I would encourage you to go to the home today sometime this afternoon and read uh, maybe chapter 17 through chapter 20 to get a full concept of what's going on. But as we read more into chapter 19, we find that God came and ministered to him in his discouragement. God came and ministered to him in his depression. God came to meet his need. Isn't that incredible that God would love us so much? I think sometimes we forget this concept of what a father does to his child. Maybe you had a bad experience in that relationship and so it's harder for you to relate. But the way God deals with us in our relationship of father to child, one who's placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, becomes a child of God and as God deals with us, he deals with us with perfect love, with unconditional love. He loves us entirely so that everything he's up to in our lives is to be done for the good of those who love him. He's working for our good. He's not looking for an opportunity to say, oh, you messed up, you're out. Now he's looking to grow us and develop us. What a blessing it is for me to see the story and the failure of Elijah and see how God so lovingly responded to him in his time of need. There's one more thought that I want to throw out for your consideration in this category, and that is that not only did God used an imperfect person, and not only did God respond in graciousness and love, but we also find, number three, that, that God also continued to use him after this failure. To me, that's encouraging. God didn't sideline him. God didn't say, well, sorry, bud. You know, you had your chance to quote Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Such deep theology comes from that story. 
you had your chance and muffed it. Um, God didn't say that. God turns to this incredible person of faith and he says, now get up. Let's get going again. He used him to anoint a new king, to anoint a new prophet, to continue to speak for God. We could go on and on. God continued to use Elijah. Despite his failure, despite the fact that he was human, God continued to use Elijah. There's one more category that I'd like for us to draw into for just a second, and this is where your next fill-ins originate. What do we see in the story of Elijah that could greatly benefit us in our day-to-day lives? Well, I think, first of all, letter A is probably the way you have it on your study guide, that we need to stand bravely for God. We need to stand bravely for God. We see that in Elijah's life. Yeah, there was this time of failure, but for the most part, what we see throughout his ministry as a prophet of God was that he stood boldly for God. I mean, he confronted the king. I'm not the problem, king. That's a very dangerous thing to do from a human perspective. Elijah stood boldly for God. I think if, if we were to get anything from this story, it's that you know what? When we are submitted to God and His Holy Spirit is working through our lives, that we can stand boldly and do what He tells us to do. We don't have to run from the situations. But number two, not only that, that we do not need to be afraid of what people are doing or what people are saying. We do not need to be afraid of people or what they're doing. Elijah shows us the wrong example. The right example first and not being afraid of Ahab, but the wrong example and being afraid of the threat of Jezebel. And instead of standing despite what she said, Elijah ran. If we can learn anything from this, maybe it's that God is trustworthy, not only sometimes. God is with us not only sometimes. He will not forsake us not only sometimes, but all the time. That just as he's brought to pass some incredible things in our lives in past times, so he will do the same in present and future times. God is always with us. I'm so prone to mess this one up. And I think this is the reason this one speaks to me so, so well. That, I, that I'm so prone to see God doing great things, to see God at work, and, and yet somehow when something else, another challenge, is, a challenge presents itself, I somehow cave under that challenge. Instead of saying, you know what? I'm submitted to God. I'm a child of God. Therefore, God is working in this situation. It may not come out exactly the way I want it to, but I know God's at work. I have no reason to be afraid of what people think, what people are going to do. The time is going to come, I believe, in America when we will be persecuted for our faith. I think that's approaching much quicker than any of us ever thought it would. And we're going to have to make a decision at that point. We stand or do we cave? It is my earnest prayer that there will be a group of people at Mile Strait that say, you know what, you do what you need to. I'm not bowing down. I'm not giving up. I'm not rejecting my Savior. May that be the case for us. So 
one more thing that fits into this category. And that is based upon the story of Elijah, we, we should learn that we must refuse to let failure sideline us. You got to refuse to let failure sideline you. you. You mess up, and some of us mess up horribly. Some of you right now are dealing with things that have caused you great embarrassment, shame, great sorrow, difficulty. And, and your, your thought, maybe in the back of your mind, could very well be, you know what? I'm not usable anymore. Man, I, I just got to give up. I keep getting tripped up by these things. I just can't walk path that God is leading me in. Time for me just to quit. And when we think that way, the enemy wins. What God desires from us is to confess our faults to Him. And when we confess our faults, He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And not only do we confess our faults, but we learn from them. Okay, what do I learn from my last failure? What do I learn from, from this, this last time when I turned my back on God? What was it that caused it? How do I need to correct that? How can I put safeguards in place to where I don't do that again? So I learn from my mistakes, but I don't dwell on my mistakes. They don't define who I am. Who I am is a child of God who has been gloriously forgiven of my sin. That's who I am. And so I don't dwell on that and allow it to consume me and dictate what happens in the rest of my life. But instead, I move forward for the glory of God. The best thing we can do in times of failure is to move forward for God. The best thing we can do for ourselves, for our family, for our church, for the kingdom of God, for the church of Jesus Christ is not to allow failure to sideline us, but to continue moving forward, to show the enemy that he does not control the situation. We move forward for God's glory. So then for those of us who may be discouraged today, maybe under great depression maybe you've just come through a failure and you're thinking now what does God even love me anymore could he love me anymore that today we just surrender these situations to God we submit ourselves fully to him and we move forward for his glory do you fit into that category would you simply trust God enough today to know that he loves you if you're his child he loves you unconditionally and he wants what's best for you he wants what's even awful in our lives to work out to be good for those who love him God is at work in your situation, even though you don't see it. Would you just trust Him in it? For the person who doesn't know Christ as Savior, can I this morning encourage and invite and beg you to 
come to know him. You say, well, Tom, I don't even know what that means. I don't understand that stuff. Well, here's what I would invite you to do. In just a minute, I'm going to ask you to stand. Ladies are going to come to the instruments. Jason is going to come. and Eventually, he's going to sing a song that we refer to as an invitational hymn. It's just a time for you to respond to the invitation of what God is calling you to do. If you want to know Christ as Savior, or you at least want more information, without pressure, without obligation, without cost, then can I invite you just to come and meet me at the front when he begins to sing? Just real quietly and quickly move from your place to the aisle that's closest to you and meet me right here. I'll have someone who's trained in God's Word to show you how you can know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Would you come and meet Him today?